Chapter eighteen of Notwithstanding by Mary Chumley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter eighteen. So fast does a little leaven spread within us, so incalculable is the effect of one personality on another. George Eliot. Janey's set face distressed Roger. Presently he had a brilliant idea. Miss George's was the person to cheer her, to tempt her out of her mother's sick-room. So the next time he was going to Red Riff to inspect some repairs in the roof—the next time was the same afternoon—he expounded this view at considerable length to Annette, whom he found thinning the annuals in a lilac pinafore and sunbonnet in the walled garden. She sat down on the circular bench round the apple-tree while he talked, and as he sat by her it seemed to him, not for the first time, that in some mysterious way it was a very particular occasion. There was a delightful tremor in the air. It suggested the remark which he had once made that it was a remarkably fine afternoon. And it agreed, rather too fine for thinning annuals, though just the weather for her aunts to drive over to Noyes to call on Mr. Stirling. Now that Roger came to look at Annette, he perceived that she herself was part of the delicious trouble in the air. It lurked in her hair, and the pure oval of her cheek and her eyes, most of all in her eyes. He was so taken aback by this discovery that he could only stare at the sky. And yet if the silly man had been able to put two and two together, if he had known as much about human nature as he did about reaping machines, he would not have been in the dark as to why he was sitting under the apple-tree at this moment, why he had ordered those new riding-breeches, why he had them on at this instant, why he had begun to dislike Mr. Black, and why he had been so expeditious in retiling the laterly after the tree fell on it. If he had had a grain of self-knowledge, he would have realised that there must indeed be a grave reason for these prompt repairs which the Miss Nevilles had taken as a matter of course. For in the ordinary course of things, tiles could hardly be wrested out of Roger, and drain-pipes and sections of leg guttering were at his life-blood, never to be parted with except as a last resort after a desperate struggle. The estate was understaffed, underfinanced, and the repairs were always in arrears. Even the estate bricklayer, ruthlessly torn from a neighbouring farm to spread himself on the Miss Neville's roof, opined to his nephew with the hod, that Mr. Roger must be uncommon sweet on Miss George's to be in such a mortal hurry with them tiles. Annette's voice recalled Roger from the contemplation of the heavens. "'I will go down to-day after tea,' she was saying. "'and I will persuade Janey to come and sit in the hayfield. "'It is such a pretty thing, a hayfield. "'I've never seen hay in, in, in what you call it?' "'In cock.' "'Yes, such a funny word. "'I've never seen hay in cock before.' "'Roger smiled indulgently. "'Annette's gross ignorance of country life did not pain him. "'It seemed as much part of her as a certain little curl "'on that white nape of her neck. "'Down the lane,' A child's voice came singing. "'If I could have the one I love, how happy I should be!' "'That's Charlie Noakes,' said Roger, feeling he ought to go, and singularly disinclined to move, and casting about for a little small talk to keep him under this comfortable apple-tree. "'His father used to sing that song at Harvest Holmes before he took to the drink. "'Jesse Noakes, he's dead now. He and my cousin Dick, the present squire, used to get into all kinds of scrapes together when they were boys. I've seen them climb up that vine and hide behind the chimney-stack. 
when Uncle John was looking for them with his whip. They might have broken their necks, but they never thought of that. Poor Jesse, he's dead, and Dick's dying. It was the first time that Roger had ever spoken to her of the present owner of Halver, the black sheep of the family, of whose recklessness and folly she had heard many stories from his foster-mother, Mrs. Nichols. Janey, in spite of their intimacy, never mentioned him. And partly because he wanted to remain under the apple-tree, partly because he was fond of Janey, and partly because a change of listeners is grateful to the masculine mind, Roger talked long about his two cousins, Janey and Dick Manvers, of her courage and unselfishness, and what a pity it was that she had not been the eldest son of the house. And then he told her a little of the havoc Dick was making of his inheritance, and of the grief he had caused his mother, and what, according to Roger, mattered still more to Janey. Janey loved Dick, he said, and I was fond of him myself. Everybody was fond of him. You couldn't help liking Dick. There was something very taking about him. Can't say what it was, but one felt it. But it seems as if those taking people sometimes wear out all their takingness before they die, spend it all like money, so that at last there is nothing left for the silly people that have been so fond of them and stuck so long to them. Dick's like that. He's worn us all out, every one, even Janey. And now he's dying. I'm afraid there's no one left to care much, except, of course. He stopped short. I've just been to see him in Paris, he went on. Didn't you live in Paris at one time? I wonder if you ever came across him. Annette shook her head. I never met a Mr. Mambers that I know of. Ah, uh, but he dropped the Mambers when he started his racing stables. He had the decency to do that. He always went by his second name, Le Gay. Le Gay? Yes, Dick Le Gay. Lady Louise's mother was a Le Gay of Noyes, you know, the last of the line. She married Lord Stower as his second wife and had no son. So her daughter, Lady Louisa, inherited Noyes. Dick Le Gay? Yes. Did you ever meet him? I don't suppose you did. Dick never went among the kind of people you would be likely to associate with. Annette was silent for a moment, and then said, "'Yes, I've met him. I used to see him sometimes at my father's cabaret.' She saw he did not know what a cabaret was, and she added, "'My father keeps a public-house in the Rue de Bac.' Roger was so astonished that he did not perceive that Annette had experienced a shock. "'Your father a publican?' he said. "'He was a courier first she said, speaking with difficulty, like one stunned, but forcing herself to attend to some trivial matter. That was how my mother met him. And after her death he set up a little drinking shop, and married again, a woman in his own class of life. I lived with them for a year till last September. "'Good Lord!' said Roger, and he said no more. He could only look at Annette in sheer astonishment. "'The daughter of a publican!' He was deeply perturbed. The apple-tree had quite ceased to be comfortable. He got slowly to his feet, and said he must be going. She bade him good-bye, absently, and he walked away, thinking that no other woman in Losia would have let him go after four o'clock without offering him a cup of tea. Just when he thought he was really gone, he found he had come back and was standing before her. "'Miss George's,' he began awkwardly enough, "'I dare say I have no business to offer advice, but you don't seem to know country life very well. Never seen hay and cock before, I think you mentioned. 
so perhaps you would not think it cheek of me if I said anything. About the hay? No, no, about what you've just told me. About my father keeping a public house? Uh, yes, uh, none of my business. he become plum colour. But— She looked blankly at him. She felt unable to give him sufficient attention to help him out. He had to flounder on without assistance. If you mentioned that fact to anyone like Miss Black, it would go round the parish in no time. Would that matter? Roger was nonplussed for a moment. Her ignorance was colossal. Um, some things are better not talked about, he said. I've been telling you of poor Dick, but there were things in his life that were better not talked about, so I did not mention them. His words transfixed her. Was it possible that he was warning her that he was aware of her adventure with Dick? At any rate, she gave him her full attention now. She raised her eyes to his and looked searchingly at him, and she saw with a certainty that nothing could shake, that he knew nothing, that he was only trying to save her from a petty annoyance. "'The Miss Nevilles has always been very close about your father,' he added, you can ask them, but I think he would find they wouldn't be much pleased if his profession was known down here. It might vex them. So many vexatious things in this world that can't be helped, aren't there? And if there are any that can, so much the better. That was all I came back to say. I should not volunteer it if I were you. It seemed to drop out so naturally that I thought you might have said the same to Miss Black. Certainly I might. I do hate concealments of any kind.' Annette spoke with conviction. "'Oh, oh, so do I,' said Roger, wholeheartedly. "'I've hushed up too many scrawls not to hate them. But this isn't a concealment. It's—it's—you see, Miss Black does run round with her tongue out, and no mistake, and Uncle John's advice when I settled down here, as his agent was, never say any more than you must. So I just pass it on to you, now that you've settled down at Rift, too.' And Roger departed for the second time. She watched him go— and a minute later heard him ride out of the courtyard. She sat quite still where he had left her, gazing in front of her, so motionless that the birds, disturbed by Roger's exodus, resumed possession of the grass-plot at once. The plebeian sparrows came hopping clumsily, as if they were made of wood, propped up by their stiff tails. A bulging thrush with wide-speckled waistcoat hastened up and down, throwing out his wing each time he darted forward. A thin mortar-wagtail came walking with quick steps and exquisite tiny movements of head and neck and long balancing tail. A baby-wagtail, brown and plump and voracious, bustled after it, shouting, "'More! More!' the instant after its overworked, partially bald parent had stuffed a billful down its yellow throat. Annette looked with wide eyes at the old dim house with its lattice windows and the vine across it, the vine which Dick had climbed as a lad. Dick was Mr. Manvers of Halver. The baby wagtail bolted several meals, fluttering its greedy little wings, while Annette said to herself over and over again, half stupefied, Dick is Mr. Manvers. Dick is Janey's brother. She was not apprehensive by nature, but gradually a vague alarm invaded her. She must tell Mrs. Stoddart at once. What would Mrs. Stoddart say? What would she do? With a slow sinking of her heart, Annette realised that that practical and cautious woman would probably insist on her leaving Riff. 
tears came to her eyes at the thought. Was it then unalloyed bliss to live with the Miss Nevilles? Or was there some other subtle influence at work which made the thought of leaving Riff intolerable? Annette did not ask herself that question. She remembered with a pang her two friends, Janie and Roger, and the Miss Blinkids, and Mrs. Nichols, and her Sunday-school class, and the choir. And she looked at the mignonette she had sewn, and the unfinished annuals, and the sweet peas she had raised in the frame, and which would be out in another fortnight. She turned and put her arms round the little old apple-tree, and pressed her face against the bark. "'I'm happy here,' she said. "'I've never been so happy before. I don't want to go.' End of chapter 18